This is Talkin' Mule Deer with your hosts, Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. Talkin' Mule Deer takes you on a journey to learn more about the Mule Deer Foundation, Mule Deer and Blacktail Deer Biology and Management, tips and tactics for hunting, conservation issues, and even features some of our corporate and celebrity partners. Now, let's start Talkin' Mule Deer. Hello and welcome back to Talking Mule Deer. I'm Steve Belinda. And I'm Jody Stemmler. And today we are talking with Rob Southwick with Southwick Associates and Jim Carcaruto, who's with the National Shooting Sports Foundation. You guys, I've worked with you for a long time. Thank you very much for taking the time to, to come out today and, and visit with us a little bit. Glad to be here. Great. Yep. We appreciate your time. You guys um, have a, a rather unique niche in the conservation, wildlife, shooting sports function, and that is... You guys study what is driving the economics of, of hunting and angling and shooting. You guys study the trends in markets and things to understand what's going on. So tell us a little bit first about yourself. And then we were going to talk today a little bit about those types of studies and why it's relevant to the people on the ground and what you're learning. So, Rob, why don't you get started a little bit? Tell us about yourself and where you come from and what you're doing. Sure, sure. Thank you for having me here. Um, my company is Southwick Associates. We've been in business now 30 years focusing exclusively on the hunting, the fishing, You're the not shooting. You're that outdoors. old. <laughs> yes, yeah, time goes by. But yes, it's been a fun 30 years. We love what we do. It's, it's a real pleasure to go to work every day studying the very activities that you love as, as a person. It's really hard to define when the workday stops and the play day begins because we love the outdoors. But we began um, right out of college on some major fishery issues back then. There was a lot of questions about well, how do we manage these fisheries? Is it commercial? Is it recreational? And it came down to the economics. No one was really studying the economics of people in the outdoors. The thought was that people, when they're hunting, fishing, shooting, that's just play. That's not a work day. That's what people kept saying back then. And we knew in the industry that that's not true. And so our business grew on explaining to elected officials, to you know, local governments, that people, when they're out playing, they're spending money and they're creating jobs and it's doing good things for the economy. So you need to pay attention to conservation outdoors. And we grew a whole business on doing that. It's been 30 years and it's been fun. Did you start off as an economist or did yes. you? Okay. Began as so, an economist. All right. So it's not like you were, like a lot of us are biologists first. And then we get into policy or other aspects of the profession. But you were actually a numbers person. That's correct. Christ. And, and stuck in it. So I, I just wanted to make that clarification because I couldn't tell you why economics would, you know, if you're going to go wrestle a grizzly bear or go count numbers, um, I know which one I did. So <laughs> yeah. But as we all know, I mean, when people talk about an issue, inevitably they bring in the economic impact of what that issue is and how it's going to affect a local community or the big picture. Because in our economy, in our, our country, we value things that, that have a larger impact than just the individual thing. So the being able to communicate the economic impact of hunting and shooting and fishing has been a very important tool because it, it really makes those pastimes, those those fun things that we do, that much more relevant in, in the, the, the scheme of, of business and industry in this country, right? Mm -hmm. sure so, does, so yeah. Jim, tell us a little bit, what's your background? Sure. I grew up in uh, Putnam County, New York, about uh, oh, 40 miles north of New York City and spent as much time as possible outside. I was, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time chasing rainbow trout and uh, missing rough grouse you know i didn't have a dog <laughs> so i learned the hard way but how I, many woodcock uh, did you miss too where they oh, fly yeah, straight yeah, up <laughs> yeah we, we missed a lot of those as well realized that i should have probably had a dog growing up but uh <laughs> 
uh, it was a lot of fun, and I feel very fortunate to be with National Shooting Sports Foundation now for about uh, 10 plus years. And uh, NSSF is the trade association for the firearms and ammunition industry. We're a business to business organization that works with the manufacturers, the retailers, and the ranges. And again, one of the, the fun things about working in that industry is everybody that works in the industry. You, you know, you can you can walk up to anybody at any time and talk about, you know, how, how was what's your latest trip to the field? And um, then when you get a little bit more serious and start talking about the uh, research and the economic impact of hunting and target shooting, it really opens up a lot of people's eyes, not only within the industry, but then using that data outside the industry. Um, you know, you don't really see hunters, right? You're, you're driving by, you might see a ball field and you see people participating in basketball and outdoor sports like that. But um they don't realize that how many hunters are really out there and how many target shooters are out there and the economic impact of it. So uh, it's really fun working with smart guys like Rob and economists to dig deep into the number of jobs supported by hunting and target shooting as well as the uh, the economic impact of the taxes and really the things that go toward conservation that a lot of people don't know about, which is kind of weird because it is such a main driver of conservation in the United States that uh, we want to tell that story and get it out to as many people as we can. And it's important because, um, you know, when when people are trying to marginalize, particularly hunters and maybe shooters as well, mm. and, and say that it's a small part of, of the, the, the country or they really aren't having that much of an impact, it's really important for those folks to be able to understand and then be able to carry that message out themselves when they say, well, actually, I'm not just one, I'm millions or yeah, right. I, you know, and we're having an impact here. So one of the flagship products that you guys have put together and, and worked together on for a number of years, and it's kind of a collaborative across a, a number of other organizations as well, using data that comes from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service um, that they gather every five years. Um, that is, it's called the, uh, the uh, I'm blanking right National now on the name. Survey, National yeah. Survey on Fishing, Hunting, and Wildlife Recreation. There we go. I mean, how many years have I What they said. That? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the National Survey is what we all know it as, exactly. so when you try to get that long name out there. But they do this survey, and then you guys take the data and, and the sub-data. This is a very complex data set, and you're able to kind of break it down of how many hours they're spending in the field, how many, how much do they spend on a trip. So, so tell us a little bit. And then also one of the things that's been pretty cool is you connect that to other industries that people think are super mainstream, and realize that hunting and shooting and fishing actually are pretty much up there with some of these big companies. Give me a little bit of background on that. Well, absolutely. There's, there are a lot of numbers. We could bury you in the numbers. <laughs> um, I just don't want to just throw numbers out. Got to put them in context. Numbers don't mean anything standing by themselves. Just what you said there, comparing them to known industries, known activities, is what makes a number real and makes people say, wow, that really is significant. Um, the overall, the whole industry we're looking at is hunting and target shooting together, and we have the numbers broken out too. But we know altogether there's about you know, 13 and a half million people who go hunting every year, and there's about another close to 40 million people who go target shooting, and they spend a lot of money. You know, a typical hunting trip is about a $184 injection into the economy. That's an average. Oh, that's cheap. That's an it, average. That's average. <laughs> right. That's average. So yeah. yeah, your week-long trip for elk, no, you're not going to get away with that, with that price. But going out a uh, Duffield you know, near your house. Sure, this is lower cost, okay, but averages but, together. But but then let's magnify that out and see how much, when it's $184 a trip, what does that mean? Yeah, altogether, you're coming down to around $44 billion wow. a year. Wow, and say that again? $44 billion. B- b- exactly. That's, billion. And, that's direct, right? Direct. That's direct. out of their pockets. Okay. 
So that is money actually spent in pursuit of hunting and target shooting. Correct. And put that into context so it makes some sense. Everyone knows how important Black Friday is to the the economy. And that whole weekend, that Friday through Sunday, that is about $43 billion a year. Wow. And so, again, as Jim is mentioning, these activities people don't see going on, but we have millions of people doing it, spending billions of dollars. It's significant, but we're not quite getting that media coverage about how important hunting season is about to open up for rural economies. But you know what's similar is folks are waiting in the dark to go do stuff <laughs> like they do at the, you know. Well, that's yes. true. We're all getting open. up yeah. early. Yeah. Go spend we're going money, to no. Black Friday sales yeah. or going out to the <laughs> oh, double exactly. line. I've done that yeah. too. I've, I've stopped at Cabela's on, before going out, you know, four yeah. in the morning, stop at Cabela's and then hit the, uh, you know, deer field. Uh, well, and it is, it's, what's important actually is, is it is when you look at a rural community where people go to duck hunt or to mule deer hunt, those communities depend on that dollars coming in, those trip expenses that people put in there, right? Exactly. Because through that time of the year, the crops are already in. And so the income is low. Yeah. You're not, during the winter time, you're not doing field treatments. The agricultural economy slows down when hunting season picks up. So it's a critical, it fills a critical gap during that time for the economy in that area. So you said 13 million hunters? About 13 and a half Yeah, 13 and a half, 44 billion a year. As a biologist, we often look at trends and we determine how well we're doing or what are the indicators of how well a population is doing based on trend data. What have the numbers been through time? Are we declining? Are we increasing? Are we, you know, are we, are, are our three efforts being successful? Is all the gadgetry and other stuff out there driving more money into the economy? You know, what, what are the trends we're seeing right now? You want to hit? Sure. There's, you have dual trends going on here. Right. When it comes to participation, hunting has been flat. The last couple of years has declined a little bit. Some years it peaks up. Typically, when the economy slows down during recessionary periods, people have more time on their hands. And then we'll see people out hunting more often. We see fishing license sales go up. But what's really happened in the economic side is the amount of gear available. With the expansion of new hunting opportunities, longer seasons, people are investing more. So the typical hunter is spending close to twice as much now as they were about 25 years ago. I mean, think about turkey seasons compared to when we were kids, how long they were and opportunities you have. The gear used to be you have your one shotgun that you use for deer hunting, for bird hunting, migratory, for turkey hunting. Now you have specialized firearms for each season. And so the product that's out there, some people say hunting is getting too expensive. It's not true at all because it's voluntary. You can still buy one shotgun for all types of activities, Mm -hmm. but people choose not to because they enjoy it. Mm -hmm. It gives them better experience in the field. It is a voluntary purchase and has really driven the industry in the last few years. And of course, all the benefits that come along with it for conservation. So in the last 10 years, we've seen gear explosion. I mean, there's every type of camo under the sun. There's specialty gear for every type of hunting and angling adventure out there. I saw something the other day that just shocked me. There's now memes going around the Internet on social media about gear shaming people. That sure. if we have the means or we choose to go buy a certain level of gear, particularly the more expensive stuff, that there are now people trying to... You know, I don't know if it's bullying or whatever, but they're they're through memes saying, "Oh, you you know, you think you're an elitist or something like that." I never saw something like that. You know, I looked at it this way: spend what you want to spend. You know, but get out there and enjoy it as long as you're getting out there. Yeah, and, I've yeah. seen some of those too, and it's a little bit frustrating because you know, let's 
It's uh, that's all we're all in this together here, and, and it does go back historically when you have uh, you know, your traditional archer versus the compound guy, and now the compound guy versus the uh, crossbow guy. So it's kind of funny that you know we we have bickering, but that happens within any any community as well. But it's nice to see us all get together on some of the bigger issues. You know, when we do use the data that, that Rob crunches here, that $44 billion, one of the primary things that we do is inform not only um, the consumers about what's going on, but for us as a trade association, it's very important to have those numbers for Capitol Hill when we're going down there and trying to either fight anti-sportsman legislation or enact, you know, some pro-legislation as well. So the numbers are, that, that's pretty much... Politicians like numbers, don't they? That's exactly it, you know. That, Particularly that's, economic yep. numbers. And if, and if you don't have how many jobs are supported by an event or an activity, you know, you're not going to get very how, far. How many jobs, Rob? 850,000 jobs in the United States would disappear if people stopped spending money on hunting and target shooting and did not spend that money anywhere else. Wow. That's wow. a big number. I mean, wow. it's, it's bigger than the population of you know, Alaska, North Dakota, Vermont, a number of states. Just wow. the employees. Wow. That's significant. I mean, because jobs talk, uh, you know, in, in particularly in a big economy like we're going through right now where it's, this, where it's pretty stable. If you start to lose jobs, you're starting to lose the tr trickle down through communities is, is significant with that. Well, the jobs overall, if those jobs disappeared, the U.S. unemployment rate would go up just over half a percent. Wow. That's enough for politicians to lose their jobs. Yeah. That's why they pay attention to these job figures. Yeah. Absolutely. So you said the $44 billion was direct spending. Do you know how much indirect or leverage spending is associated with that? Yes. Yes. Um, top of my head is a roundabout number. I can't remember every number in, in detail, but you're hitting around $100, $109 billion at that point. Wow. And, and that's, so, so right. explain, yeah, the ripple effect concept and when you talk economically, because you can, you can talk about direct spending. That's $1 in is the amount that's spent. Correct. A ripple effect means that dollar then travels to the economy. And in, in how? And so, so it is the person who collects that dollar goes and uses it somewhere else, and that impacts another aspect of the community. They wouldn't have had that dollar. Is that, is that a good it's way exactly, to represent it? Exactly, and that's how the, the benefits are derived. That's how everybody in the country benefits from hunting and target yep. shooting, any activity. So let's say you're a hunter, and you're traveling out of town. You're, going to, you're staying at a hotel somewhere. So you're spending money at the hotel. You're spending money at the restaurants. Well, they have to pay their employees, who may not be hunters or target shooters, mm -hmm. but they're benefiting from the dollars. They're taking those dollars home. They're buying groceries, you know, they're paying their bills. Then the restaurant has to buy more supplies. So the wholesalers benefit, goes down to the farm economy. They have to buy more food, more supplies. Mm -hmm. They have to pay power. They have to pay all the service. They have to pay garbage collection. So every part of the economy benefits from the hunters and target shooters dollars. And that's a critical point that they make going to the Capitol Hill talking to politicians that everybody benefits. Yep. And it's important to note that, you know, um, Obviously, it's directly to the companies, and, and that's important. And they may be, some of them may be in larger cities and more metropolitan areas. But we're also talking about these small little communities that may not have income from other areas as well. That, that the hunting, shooting, places where you can get outside depend on people coming in and being able to recreate and use those areas. Uh, and, and so that that economy, that, that economic impact isn't just in the big cities. It's talking about you know, in the middle of the country or in the small towns anywhere in the country that, that, that this is helping. True. And the big cities, too. And the big cities The importers, well, yeah. the services, you, the amount of money that goes into New York City and Chicago from hunters and anglers out in rural areas is huge. Yeah. 
Okay. So are, is are hunting and shooting equal contributors to this money that we're talking about here? Do you know the differences? Yes, yes, they're not equal. Hunting injects more. It's about $27 billion comes from hunters, and then about $17 billion comes from target shooters. Mm-hmm. Even though you have more target shooters than hunters, I mean, think about it. The amount of gear you have. Yeah. You mentioned technical clothing. You don't quite need all that for target shooting. Don't look in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> we often joke about, we call these the divorce numbers. We tell <laughs> folks not to tell their spouses about how much money they're spending on these activities. But the typical hunter spends around $2,000 a year. Okay. The average getting that. Right. right. So the person to stay in local, the typical target shooter spends about a fourth of that okay. on an annual basis. Well, the interesting thing about that is that... Um, they may economically not have as much, I mean, or slightly different there. But in terms of the excise taxes mm-hmm. that hunters and shooters pay by the purchase, that's the, the excise tax that manufacturers pay on products. Target shooters pay a, a, a lot more a lot of times into that, uh, into to what is used for conservation. Is that true? Yeah, it's about uh, 75%. If you think about the three categories that are collected have an excise tax collected on them. You've got your handguns, your long guns, and your ammunition. So handguns primarily are not used for hunting, so majority of that excise tax goes uh, is coming from non-hunting purposes. Uh, you know, the long guns, the shotguns, and the rifles, you can certainly make a case for an even split there or maybe even a little bit more on the um, hunting side of things. But ammunition, we talked about this a little bit earlier, Steve, about some, you know, target shooter hitting 10,000 rounds a year, and a hunter's... Not not shooting that much. I don't have, care how much hunting you're doing, yeah. how bad a shot you are. You're not going through 10,000 rounds. So, um, you know, Rob had talked about the benefits of uh, speaking about the economics of impact and how the, that ripple effects really affects people. But really, it affects the conservation aspect of things as well. So about 500 manufacturers pay an excise tax, and it comes out to about $675 million a year. And as you know, we talked about, I think you talked about this with Bill Dunn, that um, that is a major contributor to conservation because all those funds go to state wildlife agencies and everybody benefits from the great work that those guys are doing for building wildlife communities. And Is that unique in our community that the money goes directly back to benefit those things that you're spending the money on? I mean, we're not taking it and running it off to the Cayman Islands. It's right. Yeah, right you can't, you can't uh, fill potholes with it. As much as some people try to raid that system, it was set up by some really smart people back in the 1930s, and uh, we're very fortunate to have that North American model of conservation. It is the envy of the world. So we're going to um, keep that going. Another thing about the whole excise tax program, by law, if a state is to receive their allocation of those excise tax dollars, they also have to require all hunting and fishing license dollars are 100% dedicated back to fish and wildlife conservation. So a state agency can't try to divert those dollars to build roads somewhere. They try. They try. They try, yeah. but they lose every time because yeah. yes. yeah. they will lose because all these excise all, tax yep, dollars. All of the federal right. funds that came in, they have to pay that back if they, they divert those licenses. So it's a really important aspect. So we talk about the conservation, and that's a huge part of it, but an increasing part of what's being used um, for the excise dollars is actually range development, and that's something sure. that we're, we're working on to try to ensure. In fact, in Colorado, which is where I live, I know the Colorado Parks and Wildlife has created a couple new, including one out by Grand Junction, the Cameo Shooting Sports Complex, that is world-class, providing more opportunities for hunters to sight in. My husband sighted in my daughter's rifle before elk season there this year. 
but there are also there's going to be handgun USPSA. I mean, so it's target shooting as well. So it's creating opportunities for target shooters as well, using those excise tax dollars and partnerships with the, the state wildlife agencies, right? Sure is. And, you know, NSSF had a big part in that. Uh, for 12 years, we had tried to get some legislation passed. We call it the Range Bill, and it did just get passed this past year. And it makes it easier for state wildlife agencies to use those excise tax funds to support their consumer, what we talked about, the target shooter, by building those ranges closer. We know through the research that we've conducted over the years that you're going to get more participation if you have a range within 30 minutes of um, people. You'll get less and less. The further out a range, further people have to go to go do something, the less they're going to participate in it. So uh, we're pretty excited about that, and we're looking to work with state wildlife agencies to build more facilities to um, reach out to target shooters and then we'll hope that they're going to bring somebody new with them. Yeah. Is, is it tough to get a range built these days? And the reason I ask that is I live in a small community in Montana. We don't have a range. We have some mm. areas out on public land that are de facto ranges, but we don't have a range. And I, for the 10 years I've lived there, said, how come no one's putting a range in through Recreation for Public Purses, Purposes Act or, you know, wealthy landowner or just the community getting together sure. saying we need it? You know, well, I, that's cute that it's tough to build a range in Montana. Try try doing it in Connecticut. Well, <laughs> <I don't care. laughs> yeah, that's but, cute. Yeah. <laughs> I like the way you um, said that. It is very difficult. And, <laughs> oh, you know, you're cute, Steve. <laughs> yeah. so, hey, she's finally realizing <laughs> something the rest of us have known for a long time. So. But yes, it is, is. It is difficult. We took away one of those barriers, which was the regulations, and we have heard from state wildlife agencies that they've got some shovel-ready projects that they're looking to do. Um, you know, I've heard from folks out in Nebraska uh, that they're ready to do some things down in Florida. So Montana may be on the list, and we'll we'll put, hey, a, good, we'll put a good word thing. in for you. You know, it's um, as you know, running a range is a lot of work. There's a lot of environmental issues. There's a lot of safety issues, everything else. And, what, you know, when you live in a town of less than 2,000 people, it's hard right. to get that commitment. And right. I think that's probably more of the issue than, you know, that, that the commu community wouldn't support it or embrace it. I mean, I, I, I teach hunter ed. We don't really have a, a range to go to during that process. You know, I, I do it all. I, I've sort of become by the shooting bench back of the truck go out to a sure. place that i know you know do all that but it would be really nice to be able to go you know particularly if we had archery associated with it but right. we don't um yeah, so, so you guys do some other research though besides yeah. the gun or was there any other economic stats that we didn't do that you think we should pass on well there's a couple there related to ranges um the demand for target shooting is much greater than i think most people realize and it comes down to access. Mm -hmm. Research is showing clearly a number of times we found this in studies that if someone has to drive more than 30 minutes, odds are they're going to quit. Right. They're not going to go at all or they're going to drop out. Yet majority of the American public lives further than 30 minutes from an adequate range. So indoor ranges are critical in urban areas. A lot of growth there. But the investments of these tax dollars and ranges or hunting, the numbers are really solid what happens over time. I've got a couple of numbers here that we pulled out about the results of the excise tax dollars for hunting. People don't realize that the hunting opportunities come from these tax dollars. For example, Ohio, they started turkey hunting back in 1966. They took 12 birds that year. Huh. <laughs> Yet the turkey population was brought back because of license dollars, excise taxes, 
Last year, they took over 21,000 birds. Oh, wow. wow. So from 12 to 21,000, because the excise taxes that we're paying are creating right. these great opportunities. That's a great, yeah, that's a great connection. You don't think of New Jersey being a great hunting state? Well, I grew up there. <laughs> yeah, well, you up. might knew, know better. Most people in the country don't realize it. Yeah, but in the in 1930s, they had six-day deer season. That's it every year. Now, if you live in New Jersey, you can hunt deer for 161 days. Yep. Half the year. It's amazing. Yes. Just don't hunt bears on state land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we won't go there. So, yeah, that's that's pretty important. And, and, and a very, uh, you know, we talk a lot about that excise tax and how important that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't necessarily know that, that the people that are uh, fully realized what, right. what that did. And the other flip side of that is not necessarily connecting the, the, the tax-paying companies not fully understanding what the states are doing with that so you guys do right. something called partner with a payer that you've um you've created a situation where state fish and wildlife agencies gun companies the federal the the u.s fish and wildlife service you guys have done days where you swap jobs you yep. went on to a cult factory right sure sure i mean it's really important we've got all these different organizations doing really good work and they're, they all have the same goal of increasing participation in hunting and target shooting, but we've been working separately. So U.S. Fish and Wildlife, NSSF, and the state wildlife agencies got together and said, let's um, invite the manufacturers that pay an excise tax out in the field and see what we do. And we've done it uh, numerous times. We've had staff from a, a lot of excise tax paying manufacturers that took a day off went out into the field. They saw bear den studies in Connecticut. I've seen um, pictures with them holding the, the yep. cubs. The and prescribed cubs burns yep. in you know Massachusetts. We've done some things down in Maryland. And every time we do one, we had um, some staff from Remington and Kimber go meet with Alabama Department of Natural Resources, tour a facility, 8,000 acres that was purchased with excise tax dollars. They got taught about how the land is managed, the dove fields that they do, and also the ROI on a project like that. Because, you know, a state is getting this money and they want to use it for good purposes, which is they they build it and they will come type of thing. So you get to see from the manufacturer's perspective how the money is being used. And uh, every time we do one, it's a major positive uh, reaction from everybody involved. And on the other side of things, the state wildlife agencies, those folks are really good at knowing the land, but they're not, they may not know exactly where the money is coming from. They know they get a big check every year. So we've, we've taken them on factory tours of Colt and Smith and Wesson and Mossberg. And when they go there and they see where those, the, the firearms are coming from and the, the great people that are making that product, they have a better understanding. And it's really opened up a lot of partnerships where the states are now working better with the manufacturers, which is great because the state wildlife agencies do a good job talking to wildlife and the manufacturers have marketing teams and advertising teams that are really good at talking to people. So now they're combining those skill sets. And I'm pretty excited about, you know, the next generation of... uh, Well, that's an awesome feedback loop because oftentimes we don't, unless we see things, the results of our actions, we don't really appreciate, you know, what it really meant. And so this way you're getting out there. Someone's just not a check anymore. They're actually seeing what happens with that money. And So we're, we got to wind down a little bit here, sure. but I know you guys do some other cool, do you want to give just a couple top lines of some of the other reports that you guys have either worked on together or something else that you think that Mule Deer Foundation members would be interested in yeah. hearing about? I'll close it out, um, you know, with a future gun owners of America report. It's the most exciting research that I've done in my 11 years at NSSF. Uh, We identified that there's 24 million people that want to buy their first firearm. They have a high interest in it. 
Uh, a lot of that is for learning how to hunt and learning how to target shoot. Big, big people, a um, big number of people want to learn uh, buy a firearm for personal protection. But we quantified it. We know that there's a big audience that want to buy that, and that's going to help the cycle of excise taxes go and, and more ranges and more uh, hunters out there. So everything's looking good for conservation. But we all have to work together to um, recruit the new generation. We know they're out there, they, ha they have their hand up, they're waiting for three things. They're waiting for information on how to get started, they're waiting for an invitation from somebody they know and trust, and they're w if you add a little incentive, so those three eyes, Say it again. information, invitation, and incentive are gonna really move the needle and we're gonna see an explosion in participation in hunting and target shooting if we all work together and, and do do this together and that includes mule deer mule deer foundation um you know people that are listening bring somebody new with you there's a lot of people out there co-workers that you've been walking by for 10 years ask them and you'll be surprised they'll want to do it well and that'll keep that user pay model perpetual exactly. uh north american approach keeping it going so Gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, I know you guys have busy schedules, so taking the time to talk to us sure. and help explain, because that's something we talk about a lot, but I'm not sure we've ever really drilled down into what the economic impact and, and also the excise tax model and why that's important. Well, so it's a dry subject. It, well, you know, it, it's tough for people to understand. Not tough to understand, but it, it, it... I think it can be exciting, and I think these guys have made it exciting. Yep. You know, where we deal with competing interests, economics can be the great equalizer, where right. we can say... Your issue is no bigger than our issue because we're doing this. And, you know, when you get into those where someone has to choose something that will affect hunting and it hunting and shooting. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you, Jim. Thank you, Rob. We Pleasure. appreciate your thank time. You. It's always great working with you. Thank you for your time. And until next time, this is Jody Stemler. And I'm Steve Belinda. And thank you for talking mule deer. Thanks for talking mule deer with Steve Belinda and Jody Stemler. The Mule Deer Foundation is the only conservation group in North America dedicated to restoring, improving, and protecting mule deer and black-tailed deer and their habitat. MDF is a strong voice for hunters in access, wildlife management, and conservation policy issues. To find out more, visit www.muledeer.org and stay tuned for the next episode of Talkin' Mule Deer.